today. It's such an incredible day to be um, here at church uh, with everyone. And this is, this is Sarah and I, we were looking, my wife and I, we were looking at Time Hop earlier this morning and just going through the memories. This has been a great day for my family. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, it all kind of started 14 years ago. 14 years ago on this day, um, I invited Sarah to come over to my apartment and I had some roses on the table. And I, I, I hand-breaded and fried chicken fingers <laughs> and onion rings. Some of y'all will get that on the drive home. And I got down on one knee and I asked her in, in probably the, the most brilliant decision of my life, asked her to, to marry me. And she, on that day, made one of the most questionable decisions of her life and said yes. But we are celebrating today 14 years of our proposal and yeah, of our engagement. So people tell me it's like a, you know, like a bottle of wine, which I would know nothing about, but that it just gets better with age. It was a joke, guys. Lighten up. Just like, come on, come on. Loosen up a little bit. Um, it's been an incredible, uh, incredible four, four weeks with you guys, and we're closing out this series, Doing Things That Matter. Have you guys enjoyed this? I know that I've enjoyed sharing with you um, the things that God's placed on my heart. And we've been, we've been taking a look at the life of Joseph from the Old Testament, and we've been talking about um, dreaming wildly, living differently, loving recklessly. And then today we're going to close out by talking about leading courageously. So if you got your Bibles or you're going to use an app um, on, on a smartphone, maybe open with me or swipe with me to Genesis chapter 41. That's right there, the beginning of the Old Testament. The Bible's kind of divided into these two, these two big, big chunks, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Genesis is right at the beginning of the Old Testament, and it actually means beginning, and it starts off with the beginning of how the earth and, and the universe and everything was created and in the beginning of God's people. Um, and so we're going to land in Genesis 41 in, uh, in just a minute. But I was reading a story this week about um, this guy and he was bragging to all of his friends, his neighbors, anyone that would listen. He kept bragging that he had cut the tail off of a man-eating lion with his pocket knife. Just anybody that would listen, hey, I cut the tail off a man-eating lion with my pocket knife. And he was going on and on and on until finally someone asked, well, why did you cut the tail off? Why, why didn't you cut the head off? And he said, well, it's simple. Someone had already done that. <laughs> so today we're talking about courage and courage defined as this. It's the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, Etc. without fear. Another word for courage is bravery. You know, it doesn't take any courage to tackle a problem once the threat has been removed or eliminated. It wasn't courageous of that guy to cut the tail off of a lion once the head had been cut off. You know, if his head is still intact and he's still alive and kicking, that's a whole different story. You know, I'll shake your hand for that one but you didn't really accomplish anything. And you and I, we're faced with the same kinds of things each and every day in our life. You and I come into, into situations where we face adversity of different kinds. And, and a, a lot of the times we're unwilling to step out and be courageous. 
And here's why. There's really, I think, maybe if you're taking notes, um, we've got this card in your seat. It's got some sermon notes, um, things on the back. Maybe you want to grab a pen and you want to write these down. Here are five reasons we aren't courageous. Five reasons we aren't courageous. All right, number one, five reasons we aren't courageous. Number one, we are afraid to take risks. We're afraid to take risks. If you take a risk, something bad might happen. So we're afraid to step out and take risks. But, but then if we, can, if we can somehow, if we can overcome the fear of taking risks and then we actually get ready to do something, the second fear comes into play. The, the second reason that we usually aren't courageous and that is because not only are we afraid to take risks, but we're afraid to take action. We finally muster up all the gumption and we get out on the edge, the tip, the tip part of the diving board, but we're looking down at that water and we're just afraid to jump. We're afraid to take action. So number one, we're afraid to take risks. Number two, we're afraid to take action. Number three, we're afraid to fail. We're afraid to fail. If we take action on this, what if it goes badly? What if it doesn't end up being the way that we hope that it would be? What if we don't achieve that desired outcome? And then a lot of times that holds us back from acting courageously. The fourth thing, we're afraid of offending others. We're afraid of offending others. And that's becoming more and more evident as time goes by. In 2018, you can't take a stand for anything anymore without offending someone. Somebody getting their, their tail feathers ruffled. And, and then they want to get on social media. And they want to blast you because of how dare you take that standard? How dare you say that? How dare you believe differently than me? That makes me uncomfortable and I don't like it. And so we're, we're, we're pushed, tolerance is pushed down our throats over and over and over again. And so, so we just don't wanna deal with that. We're afraid that we might offend somebody. So it's a whole lot easier to sit on our couch than it is to take a stand for something. Because once we take a stand for something, then the fifth reason that we're not, courageous is because we're afraid of the blowback. Whenever we step out and we do something courageous, we're afraid that we might offend somebody, that someone, someone may get upset and then they're going to make our lives miserable because we've taken a stand for what we believe in or that we've done something that goes against the status quo. And because we're doing it, then it challenges them to do it, only they don't want to do it. So rather than them doing it, they just want to point their missiles and guns at us. And so those things hold us back, afraid to take risks, afraid to take action, afraid to fail, afraid of offending others, and afraid of the blowback. And at the root of all of those things is fear. Fear is at the root of every single reason why you and I are unwilling or unable to be courageous in our lives. And at the very core of our fears is this teeny tiny little word that you and I often overlook. We don't think a lot about it. It's just kind of there in our subconscious, but it's something that our enemy, the devil, uses to insert and make, an, and make a negative impact in our lives each and every day. And it's this small word. You probably use it a lot without even realizing it. It's the word can't. Can't 
is at the very core. It's the central part of all of our fears. And the enemy uses this word in, in this way. He'll, you know, like think about, you know, those old cartoons, you know, someone's making a decision and there's an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other one. You know what I'm talking about? And then the devil, he gets right there on our shoulder and he begins to whisper things like this into our ear. He says things like, you can't possibly think that God has called you. You can't do what he's asking you to do. There's no way that you could ever be successful at that. You can't be successful at the things that God is calling you to do. You can't expect your friends and your family to take you seriously. You can't leverage your influence to make a difference. You can't deal with the repercussions of living a life that is honorable to God. You can't, you can't, you can't. And then somewhere along the way, you and I give in and start to believe what he's telling us. But here's what I know. You and I, we were born to do what can't be done. And that might look something like this. We were born to do what can't be done. So do what you can't, because that's what God's called you to. And what I see when I look around is I see an epidemic. I see the disease of can't that is robbing us from our God-given potential. It is stealing away the gifts and the abilities and the talents, and, and it is causing the calling that God has placed on our life to rot. And I'm here this morning to challenge all of you. Do what can't be done because this is what I know. Courage is the cure for can't. Courage is the cure for can't. We've been taking a look at the life of Joseph and, and this is the Joseph from the Old Testament. It's not to be confused with the other famous Joseph from the New Testament, the one that was Jesus' earthly father, you know, Mary and Joseph, and they went to Bethlehem for the census and they, they had this baby in a manger and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. It's not that Joseph. This Joseph came several thousand years before that one. And he is one of the, the patriarchs of, of um, God's people, of the Hebrews. His, his dad was Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel. And Israel, actually, his family turned into the country that we now know as Israel that is there in the Middle East, God's chosen people. 
All right. And so we've been looking at Joseph's life. And so when we first come upon Joseph, he is 17 years old. He is his father's favorite son out of all of the other sons. He's the youngest at the time. He's his father's favorite. And his dad makes him this special coat. Some Bible translations say that it was a coat of many colors. Um, some Bible translations say that it was a coat with really long sleeves. But we know that there was a distinguishing factor about this coat that made it different than all of the other ones and Joseph had it. And because of that, his brothers didn't like him because he was a twerp, <laughs> all right? And they were jealous of him and they wanted to be their father's favorite and none of them were. And so they didn't like him. And then all of, all of a sudden um, we, we, we hear this story and, and see this kind of play out in Joseph's life that he has not one but two dreams in which he's claiming that his brothers are going to bow down and worship him. All right, so this is not a recipe um, that is going to yield good results. When you go and communicate that to people that already don't like you, the Bible says that they hated him even more and his brothers actually plotted to kill him. And one of his brothers stood up for him in his behalf and he said, no, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in this pit. And then they steal his coat and they rip it apart and they kill an animal and, uh, like a goat and they put the blood on it and they take it back to their father and they claim that Joseph had been killed all the while he's in this pit. And so the brothers end up selling him into slavery to some Ishmaelite traders who take him to Egypt. And there he goes to work in Potiphar's house. And the Lord was with him in Potiphar's house and the Lord blesses him. And Potiphar actually placed him in charge of the whole household. But a lot like me, the Bible says that Joseph was well-built and handsome. And so, um, and so, so Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph and she's going over to him day after day after day, trying to get Joseph to have sexual relations with her. And on and on and on, he refuses and refuses and refuses until one day she approaches him and he runs away from her. And as, as he does, she grabs his, his coat and then yells and screams and tells everybody that Joseph was the one that tried to come on to her. And she makes this big stink out of, out of everything and she lies. And so Joseph then, Potiphar has no choice. He throws him into prison. All right. So from daddy's pet to the pit to Potiphar. And then now he's in prison. And when he's in prison, the Lord is there and, and the Lord blesses him and the Lord honors him. And, and as a matter of fact, the warden of the jail, he, he places Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. And it's in prison that Joseph makes some friends. And one day he makes a couple friends, the butler and the baker of Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt. And the butler and the baker, they get put in jail there with Joseph. And Joseph is learning about their story. And so one day they come to him and they say, uh, the, the cupbearer actually tells him, he said, hey, I've had a dream. And he tells Joseph the dream. And Joseph says, well, the dream is, is very simple. In three days, you are going to be restored back to your position with Pharaoh. And so the baker gets really excited because he's had a dream too. And he said, oh, well, he got his position back. So he can't wait to tell Joseph his dream. And Joseph listens to the baker's dream and he tells the baker, he says, your dream means this. In three days, the Pharaoh and the baker's getting excited. And he's like, yes, I'm going to get my position back. And Joseph says, in three days, the Pharaoh is going to cut your head off. 
Talk about a bad way to start your day, right? And it comes to fruition that things happen the way that Joseph said they were going to happen. And Joseph had told the cupbearer, he said, when you get restored to your position, don't forget about me. It's like the end of the breakfast club. Don't you forget about me. Some of you are way too young to even remember that. It's okay. And so the cupbearer, he gets restored to his position, but guess what? He forgets about Joseph. And two years go by with Joseph in prison in the dark all by himself. Two years from being his dad's pet to being thrown in the pit to then a slave with Potiphar, then now in prison. And it's this roller coaster of time and emotions. And there Joseph is just in the deep, dark depths of the prison until one day Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh goes to the magicians and the, and the leaders of, of his people and he's communicating his dream to them and none of them can tell him what the dream means. And it's at this moment that the cupbearer overhears Pharaoh telling his dream to people and that no one can interpret it. And all of a sudden he remembers that there's a man in prison that interpreted his dream two years previous. And that's where we pick up our story for today in Genesis 41, verses four, starting with verse 14. It says this, so the king called for Joseph. The guards quickly brought him out of the prison and he shaved, put on clean clothes and went before the king. The king said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can explain its meaning to me. I've heard that you can explain a dream when someone tells it to you. And Joseph answered the king, I'm not able to explain the meaning of dreams, but God will do this for the king. In other words, I can't do this, but God can. You guys see where I'm going with this? See, the, the cupbearer may have forgotten about Joseph in the prison, but God didn't. God was doing some things in Joseph's life in the prison and he was positioning him for a time such as this. And here was Pharaoh's dream. He actually had two of them. In the first one, there were seven fat, beautiful cows that were eaten by seven skinny, ugly cows. And then in the second dream that Pharaoh had, there were seven full heads of grain that were devoured by seven scorched heads of grain. And then Joseph then prays to God and God gives him the interpretation, the meaning of the dream. And here's where Joseph had to step out and lead courageously. You know, he could have just stayed in the prison. He could have said, thanks, but no thanks. I've got a good life here. I get fed and I'm, I'm taken care of and I'm second in command to the warden. And I've got all of this, you know, all, everything figured out the way that I want it because he's seen time and time again throughout the course of his life that anytime he received an elevated position, it was always taken away and ended up way worse than how it started out. And Joseph knew the last two dudes that came to you, you cut one of their heads off. So he's dealing with a 50-50 scenario at this point. And he also knows that he's getting ready to go to Pharaoh and he's going to communicate to him some not so great news. No doubt Joseph was afraid and he had a decision to make. But instead he communicates to Pharaoh what the dream means 
and gives him a solution. He says this, skipping down to verse 33 of Genesis 41. So let the king choose a man who is very wise and understanding and set him over the land of Egypt. And let the king also appoint officers over the land who should take one-fifth of all the food that has grown during the seven good years. See, the interpretation to the dream was that there was going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of destructive famine. And so Joseph is communicating to the Pharaoh not only what the dream means, but also formulating a plan for how it needs to be handled so that everyone can be taken care of. Verse 35, they should gather all the food that is produced during the good years that are coming. And under the king's authority, they should store the grain in the cities and guard it. That food should be saved to use during the seven years of hunger that will come on the land of Egypt. Then the people in Egypt will not die during the seven years of hunger. This seemed like a very good idea to the king and all of his officers agreed. And the king asked them, can we find a better man than Joseph to take this job? God's spirit is truly in him. So the king said to Joseph, verse 39, God has shown you all this. There is no one as wise and understanding as you are. So I will put you in charge of my palace. All the people will obey your orders and only I will be greater than you. Then the king said to Joseph, look, I've put you in charge of all the land of Egypt. Then the king took off from his own finger, his ring with the royal seal on it. And he put it on Joseph's finger. He gave Joseph fine linen clothes to wear. And he put a gold chain around Joseph's neck. The king had Joseph ride in the second royal chariot and people walked ahead of his chariot calling, bow down. By doing these things, the king put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And the king said to him, I am the king, and I say that no one in all the land of Egypt may lift a hand or a foot without your permission. The king gave Joseph the name of Zaphnath paneah My parents were going to actually name me that, but they went with Blake instead. I'm a little bit disappointed. <laughs> Zaphnath paneah And he also gave Joseph a wife named Asenath, who was the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph traveled through all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he began serving the king of Egypt. And he left the king's court and traveled through all the land of Egypt. During the seven good years, the crops in the land grew well. And Joseph gathered all the food in Egypt during those seven years of good crops and stored the food in the cities. In every city, he stored grain that had been grown in the fields around that city. Joseph stored much grain, as much as the sand of the seashore, so much that he could not measure it. Because Joseph was willing to step out, because he was willing to lead courageously, because he was willing to not just go with the status quo, but that he was willing to go over and above, that he was willing to do something that mattered. God set him up to be successful. And like we talked about last week, it actually ended up saving not only the, the realm of Egypt, but it saved his family in the process. And he was reunited with his brothers and his father. But it was because at this moment, when the decision came, do I step out and lead courageously or do I shrink back and just toe the line? Joseph chose to lead courageously. See, in the prison, Joseph stayed the course and he remained true to God. No doubt he was afraid he could have been stuck there his entire 
life. There was a fear that he had. I could just be stuck here. And you know, when, when he goes from being dad's favorite to being thrown in the pit, and then when he goes from being in command over Potiphar's house to then being thrown into the prison, like that can affect someone's psyche over time. And a lot of us, myself included, we would probably throw in the towel. God, if this is what you have for me, I don't want any part in it. It seems like every time I get a leg up, I get knocked back down. Every time I take one step forward, it's two steps backward and on and on and on. And he could have just turned his back on God at that point. But Joseph chose to lead courageously. And for 13 years, when we meet Joseph, he's 17. When Joseph is placed as, as second in command, the prime minister of Egypt, he's 30. That's 13 years that Joseph had to wait and to endure adversity and to overcome all of those things in order to be able to step out, lead courageously and fulfill the plan that God had in his life. 13 years. This is what I know. At age 17, Joseph wasn't ready to be the prime minister of Egypt. He had to get some experience under his belt. Joseph, at age 17, he wasn't ready because he needed to face a little bit of adversity. He was used to having the tiger by the tail and having life handed to him because he was daddy's favorite. But he needed to get to the place where he realized that on his own, he was incapable of doing anything. And he had to become fully dependent upon God. He had to mature a little bit. He had to develop a little bit. This whole idea of developing that got me thinking. Did you know that the average millennial takes 25,000 selfies over the course of their lifetime? Isn't that crazy? But then we think back, those of us that, that are old enough to remember, I think back at a time before the selfie was even invented, before white girls became basic and thought that we needed to see them and everything that they were doing at every single juncture of their daily lives. We had these things called cameras that were not a part of the cell phone in our pocket. And I remember this because my mother-in-law, who is here with me today, um, she just, just uh, uh, within a couple years, she got one of those cell phones with a camera. But before then, anytime there was a family outing, we always had to stop by Walmart or Walgreens or something and get one of those cardboard boxes. You guys know what I'm talking about? And like, it has like a little like window on the back of it. And then over here on the right side, it has this plastic thumb wheel. And you would take a, you would look through that little box, that little window, and you'd go, clink. And then you'd have to go, <laughs> and wind it. Because inside that box was this stuff. Guys, um, some of you, like right over here, some of you up front, you don't even remember this. There was this stuff on the inside right here. That there's, some, there's some teenagers right here. You don't even remember this. There was these things on the inside of that box. It was, it was this stuff called film. Okay, so like in addition to the camera, you had to go and then buy this film, all right? And then you had to like, you had to be like a ninja when you were putting film in your camera because film can't be exposed to the light because it messes it up, all right? 
And so you'd like open up this box on the back of like, and a cam it was this thing that we carried separate from our phones. And a lot of them were really big and they had like big honking cases and we would lug them around to Disney World and think we'd look cool <laughs> with our sandals and socks and all that stuff, you know? And real quick, you'd, you'd pop this little canister in the back and, and it would do its thing and it would wind up and then it would be ready. It'd be ready to take a picture and you'd get all the family together there in front of Cinderella's castle and you'd have them all posing and everything. And then click, you'd take a picture and oh, let me see it. No, nope, what any of that. You had to wait a month. <laughs> it might've been a good picture. You, it might've looked like you had a great vacation. It might've looked like you had a terrible vacation. You didn't know what you were getting until a month later when you got those, those, those pictures developed. And see then, it wasn't, you didn't just go to the printer or anything. There wasn't no uploading digitally to Instagram and sharing your vacation in real time, or nothing like that. You had to take them and drop them off at this facility. When I grew up, there were these little huts. It was like a little box in the parking lot of like a grocery store. And you would drive up and Tommy Chong was there working. <laughs> Some of y'all get that later. And you would hand him your little canister of film. And then a week later, you would come back and he would hand you an envelope and it would have your 24 pictures in it. And you'd look through and you're like, man, we all got our eyes closed. <laughs> and you ain't even know. And the process in between that is they would take this film and they go to this place called a dark room. And the reason they call it a dark room is because it's dark in there. <laughs> There's no lights. And they would add chemicals and they would do this water bath thing and go through all of these steps and, and procedures and everything. And then on the other end, you would get this image that was produced on paper for you to go and put in a frame. It was this process you had to go through in the dark. See, Joseph walked through some darkness in his life. There were some things that, that Joseph had to walk through that they weren't pleasant. And it wasn't bright and sunshiny for him. There were some things that God wanted to do in him. There were some things that God wanted to develop in his life in order for him to become the man that God wanted him to be. So that he could accomplish the things that God wanted him to accomplish. See, this leads me to ask the question that could it be that maybe, just maybe, you've been overlooked all this time? That you've faced adversity for all this time? That the climb has been uphill for all this time? That you felt alone and in the dark, isolated for all this time because God has been preparing you and he's been developing you for such a time as this? that you've walked through that dark place so that you could come out on the other side and rise up to step out and fulfill the wild dreams that God's placed in your heart. To separate yourself from the rest of the pack by choosing to live differently in accordance with God's word. To empty out all the pain and all the bitterness and all the resentment of your life so that it can be replaced with the love of Jesus. See, here's what I figure. God hasn't placed us in the darkness to destroy us. God's placed us in the darkness to develop us. 
because he's got something better for us on the other side. But at this juncture, we're not ready for it. At 17 years old, Joseph was not ready for the things that God had in store for him. He had to walk through some darkness in order to develop and get to the place where he's mature enough to handle the things that God's calling him to do. You and I, we may not at once upon a time have been ready to take on the things that God has called us to. And we've walked through some dark and some scary places, but it's not because God wished ill will against us. It's because he wanted to develop some things in our lives so that come to the other side, we would be ready and willing and responsible and capable enough to step out and do the things that he's called us to do. It's not to destroy you, it's to develop you. And that's the place that you and I find ourselves today. But the question is, will you choose to lead courageously? Will you choose to lead courageously? There's another passage in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter one, verses seven through nine. This is God communicating his word to Joshua after he's just taken over leadership of the nation of Israel um, uh, after Moses. He, God tells Joseph this, he says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. That means that if we'll take God's word and we'll be obedient to it, we'll lead courageously because of it, that God's gonna make us successful. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord, your God will be with you wherever you go. That's his message for us this morning. God's with us. For those of us that believe in him, we've put our hope and our trust in him. We don't have to be afraid. We can lead courageously because even in the darkness, God is right there with us. You know, maybe, maybe you're here this morning though, and, and, you don't believe in God. This whole Jesus thing, man, it's, it's not your thing. And that's, that's okay. I'm glad that you're here. You know, maybe, maybe for, for those of you that are like that, maybe you're willing to go it alone. And you know what? I would, uh, I, I, I wholeheartedly applaud your self-confidence and, and your willingness to do that. Let me just share what's happened with me. I've tried to go it alone, go it alone before several times and I failed miserably. See, that's why this go round, I'm fully depending on God to give me the courage and the strength to stand in the face of adversity and do what can't be done. I've come to realize that the things that I'm capable of doing on my own are so small in comparison to the things that I can do when God is on my side, when he is working on my behalf. And so for that reason, I absolutely refuse to do what I'm doing alone any longer. Instead, I'm going to place my trust in the one who said that he would never leave me. He would always be with me every step of the way. Here's the thing that I wonder. If there is a God, 
if God does exist, and I believe that he does, then why wouldn't I want him on my side? Why wouldn't I want him fighting on my behalf? It's crazy. Paul writes to the Philippians in, in the same vein in, in Philippians chapter four, verse 13 in the New Testament. He writes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is what I know and what I've come to find out. Blake, by myself, just me, I can do some things. And then it stops there. But with Jesus, I can do all things. And I don't know what kind of math class you've been sitting in, but the ones that I grew up taking, all was way better than some every day of the week. I'm not going to settle to just do some things. I want to do all things. I don't want to just lead half-heartedly over here. I want to step out into the calling and the plan that God has for me. And I want to lead courageously, knowing that he is on my side. And when I fall short in doing my some things, that's where he picks up and his strength kicks in. And because of that, then I can do all things. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for you because courage is the cure for can't. So what might happen if we chose to lead courageously? What might happen if we patterned our lives after Joseph and chose to step out and do what couldn't be done? What might happen if we put our trust in God and we relied upon his strength to see that we could accomplish the things that we've set out to accomplish? Joseph did, and not only did he save his family, but he also changed the entire known world of the time. If you and I would be willing to take a stand and punch fear in the face, punch fear in the face, embrace courage instead of can't, and step out to pursue God's call in our life, what might we just accomplish together? How would your marriage be better if you chose to live this way? How might you inspire your children or others around you to chase their God-given dreams if you chose to live this way? How might this community be impacted if you and I chose to live our lives from a place of courage instead of can't? What would this church look like if we all decided right now, the line being drawn in the sand that we stepped across and said, we're gonna lead courageously like never before? How might the world be changed for the better because of our obedience to God? This is what I know. Joseph chose to lead courageously. And right here on this card that was in your seat, we've highlighted a verse from today's reading. It's Genesis 41, 38. It says, and the king asked them, can we find a better man than Joseph to take this job? God's spirit is truly with him. God's scouring the landscape. And he's looking at you and he's saying, we can't find anyone better. My spirit is with you. Now stand up and step out 
and lead courageously. This week, I want you to take this with you. I want you to write down on the bottom an area in your life that you need to lead more courageously. I want you to stick this in your Bible or on your bathroom mirror, on the refrigerator, maybe on that plate of brownies. You know, some places you're gonna see it a lot. I want you to read this verse this week and in the weeks to come and pray this prayer this week and in the weeks to come. And I'm believing together that God's gonna help us all to lead more courageously and make a difference in the world around us. As we close out this series, I'm gonna leave you with this. Do you wanna be a person who's known for doing things that matter? If the answer is yes, the challenge is clear. Dream wildly, live differently, love recklessly, lead courageously. If you'll do those things, you'll do things that matter. Amen.